Hey, thank you so much for checking out today's video. I'm Pastor Matt, this is Pastor Adrienne, and we pray this message blesses you and encourages you all throughout your week. Absolutely. For any more information on how to be praying with us or to become a part of our community or to give, please head on over to takeovergr.com. Right? 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 It's what he does. It's who he is. Jesus only, only does miracles. There's not a single mundane, boring, normalized thing about our Christ. Every action in your life is a miracle. The fact that he can have a relationship with you is a miracle. Everything he gives you is a miracle. Amen? It's his nature. It's his presence. It's his glory. It's who he is. I want us to never, I want us to never outgrow this. I don't ever want us to get so sophisticated. I want childlike faith so I can receive things from my father like a child. Amen? Preaching to anybody this morning. Let's stay in this moment of reverence if we can. Let's stay in this moment of intimacy where the Lord is clearly on the move. Let's normalize. I love, was that you, babe? Did you say normalize miracles? Come on. Make miracles normal again. Make the presence of God tangible again. Breathe on us, Lord. We we're here for it. In fact, I don't want anything else. Anything else is counterfeit. Anything else is cheap. Anything else is fool's gold. I want everything Christ paid for on that cross. Amen? Oh, if you're taking notes this morning, week three of this beautiful year that we are in, has anybody experienced Lord's favor in 2023 already? Has anybody else felt the devil's resistance in 2023 already? Too many Christians today are being fooled by the ways of our enemy. Listen, the enemy, he doesn't attack believers that are asleep at the wheel. The enemy comes for those that are awake, the ones that are giants that are no longer found sleeping. So if you're feeling the enemy's resistance outside of your own and my own personal sin issues and stupidity, because Lord knows we certainly get in our own way, don't we? But outside of that, if you're experiencing demonic presence, hell is just on your heels, you are feeling pushback from the undertow, know that you are probably going in the right direction, you are probably right where Lord Jesus wants you, you are probably pursuing the things set above, and you need to keep going. The devil doesn't have to kill you if he can just stop you. He doesn't have to kill you if he can just detour you. Amen? The title of my message this morning is Seated in Glory. Seated in Glory. Seated in Glory. We're going to be looking at the book of Ephesians this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. If not, it'll be up on the Sky Bible behind me. Um, can we just give it up for our entire worship and AV team for just minding the Spirit well, keeping in step with the Spirit. Amen. They hold it down for us. All right, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. Here we go. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church of Ephesus. He said, And you were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom all once lived in the, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of of wrath like the rest of mankind but God somebody say but God, but God. say it again but God. say it again but God. say it with everything in your body but God. but God being rich in mercy 
Because of great, what? Because of great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses and made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. Do I got anybody who's been saved in the house? And he raised us up with him and he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, for by what? For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We're going to pray. And we're going to let the Lord take us somewhere today. Does that sound good? Does that sound good? Father. Oh, Father, we just take a step back and we just, we acknowledge you, we acknowledge you, we acknowledge you, God. You are alive and you are active. Your word is sharper than any double-edged sword. You can pierce between bone and marrow, spirit and soul. God, you get down between the atoms and you cut us to the quick, Lord. You cut us from our sin. You cut us from all these things that are still considered undesirable of our old life, Lord. And you renew and you resuscitate and you resurrect and you bring us to this place of being a blameless, spotless bride. King Jesus, right now, Lord, we're about to explore something that is a mystery. Father, we're about to dive into a place Father, that frankly, so many of your sons and daughters have given up trying to understand. And Lord, today, help me. Help me not to preach this to a place of understanding, Lord, but draw us into the great romance of the universe, of a mystery, of you drawing us closer unto yourself, Lord. We love, we love, we love what David said, that it is to the glory of God to conceal things so man will search him out. So Lord, be with us today. Make us comfortable in mystery and lead us closer to you. Holy Spirit, come. Every other spirit, go back to hell. And Holy Spirit, begin a great work in us today that we might live here sounding like, looking like, acting like Jesus. And all the saints in the place said, Amen. Amen. Seated in glory, seated in glory, seated in glory. This, uh, this is one of my favorite portions of scripture. It's a, it's a place that I go back to frequently because for me and God, our, my personal relationship with him, listen, understand this. I, I actually have a personal relationship with God. My relationship with God isn't, isn't contingent upon you. Is it contingent upon being a pastor? Is it contingent upon being a, a preacher? No, no, no. My, my, my love, my relationship, my, my going abouts with Jesus, my life with him is because he is the savior of my soul, not my employer. And so for me, this portion of scripture, it's more than just me bringing you a word today to feed you. No, no, no. This, this, this is in my bones. Because there's so much here that the Apostle Paul is preaching about, that he is reaching out to his church about, that I think for sure the church in America, but for sure, shout me down a little man, but for sure the church in the Midwest region needs a revelation of. Listen, you and me, we, no one else is coming. Do you hear me? It's you and me. We're the after me's. No one else is coming. We don't get to leave this for the next generation. We don't get to leave it for the kids that are coming up and take over kids. We don't get to leave it for them. Sin doesn't stop itself. Evil doesn't stop itself. Sin has to be acted upon. Evil has to be stopped. You and I, we are Christians. Which means what? Little Christs. And what is a Christ? But Jesus' birthright, his Messiahship, Savior. And we are called into that same role to go into all the world 
and contend for Jesus and his gospels. Amen. We live in a time and place that is in desperate need of the breath of God. The breath of God. There are just dry, dead, brittle bones riddled throughout the Midwest region. That is our responsibility. We are called to this place. And God is looking for a church that will say, not on my watch. We will get on the watchtower. We will sound the trumpet and the alarm. And we will see God's glory come about in the Midwest region. Seated, seated in glory. You see, the Apostle Paul, he's writing to the church in Ephesus. And I, I really love the church in Ephesus because not only is it uh, one of the few churches that Paul oversees that doesn't really have a whole lot of issues going on. In fact, they're doing great. You know, he just, he's so celebratory of, of what they're doing and what they're seeing because they have gotten this. They've got it in their bones. They have, they have realized that in the midst of their city, in the midst of the culture of which they're in, that God is just breathing on their church. And can I tell you this? Ephesus had this conviction of we can't miss this moment. You see, Ephesus, Ephesus is where modern day Turkey is. And Ephesus... It's like this coastal party town. It was a place where it was the epicenter of pop culture. It was a place where everything was happening. If you wanted to have something happening in your life, you would go to Ephesus. If you had to go and trade, you would go and trade in Ephesus. If you wanted to go and party, you'd go party in Ephesus. If you wanted to go and see theaters and, and performances and whatever, you'd go to Ephesus. Problem is, if you wanted to do and partake and experience the nightlife and the high life and the big city life that Ephesus offers, in fact, a lot of people would go there specifically to meet a spouse. Problem is, Ephesus was set up around something called Diana or Artemis worship, depending on if you were Greek or Arminian. But at the end of the day, this false goddess, she's the same thing. She is this goddess of fertility. And what would happen is that there was this temple that was constructed for her. But in that temple was the bank. In that temple was the theater. In that temple was the arts. In that temple was the market. In that temple was everything. You couldn't even go and pay your taxes without entering her temple. And the problem with her temple is that it's not just something constructed in place of. No, no, no. How many of you know if you go to a place of worship, worship is supposed to take place. And worship happened there. Problem is, her version of worship, their version of worship, what they chose to do, well, it was about a thousand prostitutes getting together and having sex with anybody and everybody and claiming it as worship. So you can tell that Ephesus itself is quite the depraved place. Or anything and anything goes with anybody at any time. And in fact, in order to trade, in order to do these things, you actually had to engage in some of these cultural, cultural normalities. What's wild to me is that the Apostle Paul is writing to a church, listen, he pastored this church. He was there for a long time. He leaves it to his uh, spiritual son, Timothy, that he raises up in the faith. And this church, when Paul's done with it and leaves it in Timothy's hands, is 10,000 people large. And here we are in America just trying to tear down the megachurch. Friends, we haven't seen a megachurch. I don't care how big it gets. We have not seen 10,000 people who have been rescued out of that sinful culture, born again, born anew, living lives on fire. But that's what we're going after, right? Because we want to be the burning ones. We want to be the people that Jesus can burn upon. We want to see fire upon the earth, amen? And the reason we haven't seen this is because of this. 10,000 people rescue of sin and lust where everything revolved around that 
Ephesus at the time was only 250,000 people. 10,000 of them were found in the church. Do you know how many people were around in the world at this point in time? 300 million. We got like 8 billion people on the earth now. 300 million people. 250,000 of them in this epicenter called Ephesus. And 10,000 of them were Christians in the same church. That's who Paul's writing to. People that can be burned upon. People filled with the Holy Spirit. Context is king. If you don't know this, you think Paul is writing to like 10 or 15 people in a basement. Nothing wrong with that. But that's not the case here. He is writing to a church that is taking ground. And so whenever Paul is writing to them, it's all in celebration. And he's like, look at you, go. We can't give the devil a foothold. We can't let him take from our 10,000. We keep going forward. Amen. And so when you begin to look at this from the macro, you're going, oh my gosh, this church is on fire. This church is alive. This church is moving. It is active. It is actually experiencing the things, hosting revival in such a way that Jesus spoke about, Jesus did, how Jesus lived, how the disciples happened in the book of Acts. Like they are seeing it. But they're not just seeing it, they're possessing it. And this is huge because whenever the Apostle Paul, whenever Timothy or James or whomever it is, one of the authors in the New Testament scriptures, whenever they're writing, you've got to understand this. God's word, God's will, and God's way. God's will, God's word, and God's way is never without your culture, your place, and your time in mind. See, whenever God gives you a word or whenever God leads you in the scripture, right? Rhema, Holy Spirit, Logos, written word. Whenever he gives you a word, he's not benign or ignorant to your circumstances. He's not benign or ignorant to the the way our world is. He's not looking at Grand Rapids and Michigan and America and the world at large and Miss Universe really being a Mr. Man. Like he's not looking at our world. Yeah, I said it. I'm going to keep doing it. Close the doors. There's two genders. God made them, man and woman. Yeah. So when he gives you a word, he understands your circumstance. He understands your situation. And this this word today, friends, hear me today. It isn't to an ancient people at an ancient time by a dead God. It is by a living God for all people at all times so that you can live out in all righteousness at all unrighteous times. Am I preaching to anybody this morning? His word, his will, and his way is always relevant. It's not only just relevance. It is revival to your soul. I preach to anybody this morning. So the Apostle Paul, I love this. He starts off, he goes right into the second part. Now, obviously, this is all one letter, so they would have gotten through the pleasantries of the first one and some of the celebratory stuff of the first one. And then all of a sudden, he pumps the brakes and he hits them with a skirt. And he goes, so while you were dead in your sin and trespasses, and it's like, all right. And I think we actually have to stop here. I think we have to stop at this part where he says, while you were dead in your sin and your trespasses, when you were still, uh, we live at a time where the, the Lord of the air, which is Satan, he is the father of the sons of disobedience. He brings all this up in those first two verses. And we got to pause right there before we go any further, because here is the deal, friends. We live in America. And I love this country. I'm grateful for all the rules and the laws and the things that we're able to do here and the freedoms that we've gotten and the people who laid their lives down for us to have them. I'm also grateful for the people, our forefathers, not just of this country, but the forefathers of the word of God who who went through being martyred, who went through being hung at the stake, who went through being boiled in oil to ensure that you and I would have the gospels, have the word of God, have the ability to have a relationship with Jesus here. And now people actually gave their lives so we can meet here. 
but we're so far removed that we forget about it. But if you think about it, 2,000 years since Jesus really, really isn't that long of time. In fact, for Jesus, it's only been two days. That's what he says, right? A day to me is a thousand years. Jesus has been gone for two days in his, his reality. And can you believe the mess we've made of the church in two days to Jesus? I've gone two days and y'all did this? <laughs> we need miracles to happen. We need testimonies to be shared. I've been gone for two days and you made church an hour and 15 minutes, 20 bucks tips for the preacher and peaced out and went and lived your sinful life as you were? I've been gone two days. Context brings everything to clarity, doesn't it? Context brings a weight, doesn't it? And what we've done in the two days that Jesus is gone, especially in the last 40 years, not only did we kick uh, wine out of the church, but in the last 40 years, we constructed a church in our own image. We've drawn up a God in our own image. We've done things to fit and build around our comfort and our reservations instead of around Jesus' will and his resurrection, amen. We have constructed services and, and churches completely around your life, around the presence, instead of what Jesus wants to do in your life through his presence, amen. This is what we've done. He's been gone two days. And we've gotten that far away. Well, the world has evolved. God hasn't. He's the same today, tomorrow, yesterday, and forever. Amen? It's who he is. He's perfect. He doesn't need to get on our schedule. We need to get on his. Friends, can I just submit to you today, the only way you get everything Jesus paid for on the cross is if you actually get on his timetable. If you actually get on his schedule, if you actually get on the wavelength that he set up, if you actually match heartbeats with him, get on the same frequency as him, if you will get on how Jesus said to do life, how we saw the early church do life, you will experience all of the things that Jesus says that you can. And one of the ways I think that starts is by us acknowledging the same thing Jesus starts off, or Paul starts off acknowledging here. You wonder why? Because we're in 2023. Come on. New year, new me. We're in 2023. And too many pastors today, we're going, grace, 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 grace. And I'm grateful for the grace of God. I'm grateful for the grace of God. But we have cheapened the grace of God. We've cheapened the grace of God and we've cheapened the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross because we have cheapened it by failing to acknowledge our own wretchedness. We have cheapened the grace of God, the mercy of God, and the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross by failing to acknowledge our own old sinful nature. We have. I can't know how good God is without knowing first how bad I was. I can't wake up each day with a heart full of gratitude if I don't understand. Yesterday, I had no latitude with him. I'm preaching to anybody this morning. I am telling you, friends, we have gone grace, 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 grace. And I love grace. I am grateful for grace. I am the product of grace. Praise God. But there's a reason Paul starts it out this way. While you were dead in your sin and your trespasses and your wretchedness, when you were still a son of disobedience, following the ways of the world and following this prince of the air. We have to start and we have to look at that and we have to sit back and go, who is this Jesus? I was once a son of disobedience. He made me alive and now I should be a son of obedience. You see, I think the reason we've cheapened grace and we've cheapened mercy and we've cheapened the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross it's because at our core, and I think we need to acknowledge this so we can uproot it in our lives. I think at our core, at some point along the way, we lost the plot and we decided that we were gonna desire the things of Jesus over Jesus himself. I think at some point we decided we liked the grace of Jesus more than we liked Jesus. 
Like we love the mercy seat of Jesus, but we don't really value the throne of Jesus. I think we love what Jesus gives us in his hand, but often we're found biting the hand that feeds us. I'm preaching to anybody this morning. And see, this is, this is what we've done. You see, we have to talk about our sin because Christ rescued you from something. He rescued you from something, something that grounds you in grace, something that grounds you in mercy, something that grounds you not to think too highly of yourself, but get to that place where you see yourself as God sees you, the true place of humility. The most humble thing you can do is believe what God says about you and live it. Hear me. The most humble thing you can do is believe what God has said about you and live it. And then we got to talk about Mr. Satan himself. See, a lot of churches, we don't, we don't preach about sin. We'd rather talk about grace. We don't talk about Satan. We'd rather talk about Jesus. But the Jesus we're talking about is all grace, 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 and no warning, no red flag, no wrath, no hell, no none of it, but he's all of it. Listen, I can't tell you how many churches and how many pastors I've had that I've talked to that's like, well, brother, why would we talk about bad news when we got good news? It's the bad news that makes the good news good news. Yeah, that's right. Come on. <laughs> well, why would we talk about the little guy when we got the big guy? Because nobody talks about the little guy more than the big guy. Yeah. Look in the Bible. Nobody preached about Satan more than Jesus. Any person who was ever used by God in the scriptures faced temptation of devil, had demons come after them, faced evil principalities of darkness of unseen places. I mean, it's a part of it. It's a large part of it. Friends, if we never talked about the devil, you would be ill-equipped for the fight ahead of you. How dare I lead you into salvation only for you to be a sheep left to the wolves? No, we can't do that. If you don't know your enemy, you won't know how to fight him. And worse off, Peter describes the devil. Listen to what Peter says. I love Peter. Peter says, he roars around like a roaring lion seeking whom he shall devour. Listen, like a roaring lion. Listen, if we don't equip you and tell you who Satan is, you will be fooled by Satan's ways. Worse off, if we don't tell you who Satan is, and we don't tell you about his ways, you may get to a place in life where you can't differentiate between his ways and God's ways because you don't know the roar of a lion and a false lion. We cannot lead you to the slaughter. I have to equip you for the fight ahead of you. Listen, friends, if you do not understand spiritual warfare, here is what happens. This is how this plays out in your life. If you don't have a handle, if you don't have a theology for spiritual warfare, how to war in the spirit, how to pray in the spirit, how to get after these things, how to tear down strongholds, how to pierce the veil and take out principalities and darkness that reside around an arena, an area, in a region, if we don't know how to do these things, you will live lives where you are underneath, listen to me, spiritual warfare, getting pummeled on the inside, not understanding why you hate life, why you're tired, why you're sick all the time, why you're lethargic, why you're depressed, why you can't just get out of this funk all of a sudden because you can't differentiate between the attacks of the devil and the ways of God. You don't know his voice from the, the fake roar in your life. All of a sudden, you become not just disenfranchised with life, but you begin to deconstructing your faith and ultimately you leave God behind. Why do you think we have so many Christians leaving the faith today? You don't think that's what the devil wants? You don't think that's what the devil wants? So many Christians are deconstructing and leaving their faith, leaving the church, leaving the bride that Jesus Christ himself instituted and set up. I don't care how many times you say, no, I'm leaving what man built. God uses men. God uses women. 
I'm sorry that some have sucked. I suck too. So do you. And we all need Jesus. Yes, amen. Amen. And we need to be equipped because you will blow up your life and you will blow up your faith and you will blow out and you will leave this place separated. Separated. Sin separates. You will be separated again from God. I'm not talking about losing your salvation. I'm talking about forfeiting it. Paul says we have to contend for faith. Well, these people aren't contending for faith. No, instead, they've grown disillusioned because pastors are more scared of their sheep than they are their Christ. I say it all the time, but just to remind you, I'm far more scared of God than I am you. I am in more fear and trembling in my life about standing before him than I am reading your email on a Monday. Don't care. Spam, junk, laters, auto-reply. <laughs> God bless. We have to talk about the enemy. He is the prince of the air. He has a limited authority here in this place. And friends, he's a sucky, sore loser. He doesn't lose well. He's full of pride. He's full of arrogance. He was able to worship at the throne of God and thought he could do it better than him. You can't correct somebody like that. Right. Ask yourself today. Let's just take a, take a temperature test. Temperature check. I'm not saying you're not a Christian. I'm just saying in what areas do you reflect Satan more than you reflect Jesus because you think you can lead your life better than God can? Because I seem to remember some 300 angels going with him when he fell. And I don't want you to go there. But this is our enemy. This is who he is. He comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. He wants to entrap and ensnare the brotherhood. He wants to take out. Why? Because you were made in Christ's image and likeness. He covets what you are. He covets what's been given to you. He covets that relationship with God. Listen, friends. Can I tell you today? Can I tell you today? The reason we are so fooled into believing the lies of the enemy, believing the lies of culture, believing the lies of deconstruction, believing the lies of social media. Today, this is a full-on pandemic in the church, okay? All right? Full-on pandemic in the church. The reason we fall for this is because we have a false gospel that we've bought into. It's called the American dream. Where God exists for you and he exists to give you everything you want. But we can look at Genesis 1 and we can see that we exist for God and he gives us everything he wants. You see, the reason I think we get so caught up in grace and we get so caught up in all these things that we want to highlight which are good it's just it becomes bad when we highlight it above God and Satan also becomes bad when we highlight him above God listen listen Satan is a big deal he's just not the biggest deal God is the biggest deal I'm appreciating anybody this morning where you and I get in error is when we decide we're going to make a little dumb angel bigger than the creator of the universe amen that's where we get in error, but we still have to know we have a very real enemy of our soul. And the church is just carrying around like it's all politics and it's all human depravity. No, it's all of it. It's all of it. We have got a war on all sides that we are fighting to be the bride, to rescue souls, to see Jesus have his inheritance, his beautiful bride. Amen? Listen, you're not just this broken toy that Jesus saved. No, you are the father's inheritance to his son on his wedding day. Do you hear that? You are the inheritance of Christ Jesus. 
And we've got to talk about these things. We've got to explore these things because once you were dead in your sin and once you were a fellow son of disobedience, but now you were alive in Christ. And if you were a son of disobedience, you must now be a son and a daughter of obedience. Listen, one of the other reasons I think we cheapen the gospel is because we don't understand the primary function of a human. We don't understand what we are. We don't understand why Christ had to come. We, we have our understanding of our lives, our specific stories, where we've been, what we've done, what we've seen, what we haven't seen. We have our understanding of our limited meatbag testimony, okay? If you go to Genesis, all of this makes way more sense what Paul is writing to and preaching about here because all of a sudden you realize the human was created for two reasons. Two. Two reasons. First being fellowship and relationship with God. Second being to produce and create for God, with God, in God. That's the primary function of a human. And so we get saved and we get lifted out of a life of depravity and sin and shackles and we just go, everything's going to be awesome because the king of the universe is on my side. Everything is awesome. The king of the universe is on your side. Problem is that saying is coming out of a place of him giving and doing everything for you and not him actually having a relationship with you. Listen, you were created for fellowship with God before you were created to be the next worship leader. You were created for fellowship with God before you were the next owner of a Fortune 500 CEO company. You were created before God before you were the best hairstylist Grand Rapids has ever seen. It's my girl, Brooke. Cheap, cheap plug, hit up Brooke. She does great work. But you were created for fellowship with God. Do you understand that? At the core of your being, all of our purposes, all of our dreams, all of our ideas, all of the things that we long to accomplish, that we want to see set right in the earth, set right within us, all of the things that we want from God at first is what God wants from us. The very reason he created you was so he could fellowship with you. That's what you're restored unto. That's why Jesus had to come. That's what was unattainable by your good works and your filthy rags. That's what had to happen on the cross. What Jesus purchased back from you wasn't just your destiny, wasn't just your calling, wasn't just the fact that you'd have to be a pure heart and a good mind. No, it was that you could have fellowship with God himself. And then everything that you bring, everything that you do, everything that you produce and you create, would come from and flow out of and be founded and rooted in this place of relationship with God the Father. So when you have all this context of what Paul is speaking about here, it makes what happens next makes far more sense. And there's a reason I said we're going to go into a mystery today. So he talks about our salvation and what he rescued us out of our wretchedness, our trespasses, our sin, how we were sons of disobedience and we were going with the prince of the air. We were going with the way of the world. We were under his authority and his rule and there was no hope for us but Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. And then we get Christ Jesus and he saves us. He's rich in his mercy. And it says that he sets us apart for every good work. In just a moment, we'll get to that. But in between those two sections, Paul makes this statement. The statement that has confused, befuddled. Churches have split over it. Scholars have fought over it. I'm sure J.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis got in a pub fight in England over it. It's this phrase that Paul says next that, is one of the deepest mysteries in scripture. And he says, but you have been rescued and you've been saved and you've been seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. But it doesn't matter if you're looking Greek or Hebrew, Aramaic or any of the 
different translations early on of the word of God and these letters. It's, you're not going to find one that says you will be seated with Christ Jesus in glory. You will be seated. You will die and you will fade and then you will be seated in Christ Jesus. You will be one day far off somehow if you achieve it, if you've done enough, if you're rescued enough. Yeah, da, 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 da. No, it's a great mystery that Paul sets before the Ephesians church, the ones who were absolutely crushing it, the ones who were hosting revival, the ones that are seeing healings and marriages restored and minds lifted up, the ones who are living this thing out for real. He says, Christ has seated you with him in heavenly places, in glory. This isn't later. This is now. Well, Pastor Matt, how can it be? Because I'm, I'm at 3584 Roger B. Chaffee right now. I know. God and his infinite power and ability somehow some way and only he'll be able to make this make sense at the end of our days while we are with him for real in heaven. But he contends. God has authored this. God has breathed on this. And God has canonized this. God has made a way for this to be in his word. This is not heresy. This is not off cuff. This is not just a happenstance or something that Paul should have got some white out for. No, this is the sovereign word of God. You, me, right now, if you are a Christian, you may be seated at 3584 Roger B. Chaffee. You are also simultaneously seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Well, Pastor Matt, make that make sense. You got to make that make sense to me. No, I don't. No, I don't. Isn't that awesome? I don't. I don't. Here's what I have to do. Here's what I have to do. I have to implore you. I have to encourage you, I have to challenge you, and I have to tell you, listen to me. When we get a depth of revelation with Jesus Christ, that right now we are both filled with the same spirit that raised him from the dead, and we are simultaneously seated with him in heavenly places, friends, you will be unstoppable. You see, this is why so many of us, we pray like heaven, but we live like hell. It's because we don't realize what seat we're seated in. So many of us, we throw up timid prayers because we're living from an earthly vessel seat instead of taking a moment, getting in our prayer closet and realizing, no, we're seated next to Jesus and I can pray big, bold, audacious, wild, crazy prayers because I just have to look to my right and see Jesus is still seated at the right hand of the Father. If you're struggling with faith to believe and understand this today, hear me today, church. You already believe in a virgin birth. You believe in the craziest thing already. Right? Sacrifice on the cross don't mean nothing without the virgin birth, man. It all works together to who he is. And so you already believe the crazy parts of your faith. So I wonder today, I wonder do our lives reflect those that are seated with Christ Jesus in heavenly places? Bless you. I saw that one coming. Or do our lives reflect being seated in lazy boys? Lethargic, benign to life completely uninspired and not awakened to our calling? Like, what does your life and my life look like? Do we reflect that we are seated in glory with Christ Jesus? Or do our lives reflect that of just another religious person in West Michigan? I don't say it to condemn you, I say it to provoke you. Because this is what's available to you. I mean, how would you live if you lived with the depth of revelation that you are right now seated next to Jesus? Like, how would you pray? How would you pray? Not just like, what would your prayer life look like as in the function, as in a morning, as in a moment, but I mean, like, what kind of prayers would you have? What kind of assurance would you live with? If you were like, no, I am both filled with Christ's spirit and I am seated next to him in heavenly places, if I could just look 
This isn't mind over matter. This is light over darkness. This is Christ over death. This is the reality that you are not seated in earth predominantly, but you are predominantly as a new creation in Christ Jesus, sat next to Jesus in heavenly places. You're seated in glory. Listen, friends, we're talking about being the fire upon the earth, being the fruition and fulfillment of Jesus' grand desire in the earth to be the fire upon the earth. That is what we're talking about this season. That's where we're going. This is what we're achieving. This is what we are aiming for. Friends, let me tell you, we need to first get a working definition of the word glory. We do, because Paul is saying, you are seated right now in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, in his glory, with him, right? This is what we're talking about. What comes to mind when I say the word glory? Because we live in 2023 and I can tell you what the world's definition of glory is. And unfortunately, it's a birdbath deep and a mile wide and it's most Christians' definition of glory as well. So what is it, Pastor Matt? It's fame, notoriety, trendiness, infamy, vogue, sexy, in the zeitgeist, in the conversation, popular. We think of glory as if it's some fame that can be obtained. We think of glory as if it's some sort of, some sort of infamy in the earth where the conversation just finally got around. We think of glory as something so shallow, something so mile wide that anybody can obtain it and it's not really special once you have it. But then I start thinking about the context of scripture. I start thinking about what Paul would know as a Jewish man. I start thinking about what everyone in the Old Testament spoke about. Like, do you realize that when God's glory was gonna pass by Moses, he said, show me your glory. God's like, if I show you my glory, you melt. So God takes Moses and he stuffs him in a rock so that he could pass by. And it says that Moses just gets a glimpse, just gets a peek of his backside. Can I tell you, Moses has gotten more of a glimpse and a peek at God's glory on his backside stuffed in a rock than most Christians have in the last 40 years. You see, glory, we got to get a working definition of it. It's not just fame. It's not just notoriety. It's not just status and stature. No, this all falls short. Glory, when he talks about the glory fell upon Mount Sinai and it burned it. Mount Sinai is still burnt to this day. You can check it out. It's called Google Earth, okay? Still black tip, charred, fried, burnt. Glory happened. But what is glory? Glory is his fire. Glory is his person. Glory is his presence. Glory is his very nature. It's his warmth, it's his glow, it's his life, it's his embodiment. If Christ is the incarnate representation, radiant beauty of God in heaven, his glory is this form, is this, it's not a vapor, it's not non-formative, it's fire and all-consuming. I have a hard time picturing that God being in the conversation burnt a mountain. Show me your glory, God. Show me your fame. We think that's what he's talking about. But yet so many Christians, we operate that, that way. Some, so many of us, we read these scriptures and we have no working definition of what God's glory actually is. His glory is his person. It is his presence. It is his fire. It is his power. There's a reason Moses had to be stuffed in a rock. And yet, somebody say, and yet. And yet, and yet Paul is making the claim right here that you and I are right now. We don't only just have the Holy Spirit on the inside of us, the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead. We have the same seating in Christ Jesus in heavenly places. So I want to ask you today, are you living from earth up or heaven down? What's your marriage look like? Earth up, heaven down. What's your purity look like? Earth up or heaven down? 
Because we're supposed to be conduits of glory, right? On earth as it is in heaven is supposed to be our prayer. It's supposed to be our mission. It's supposed to be our life and our breath. It's what we give our lives for is to see heaven invade earth. Amen? That's what we're called to be. We're called to be conduits of glory. I wonder, do we live as Christian consumers of glory instead of Christian conduits of glory? Glory is supposed to flow heaven down through us. He has a plan. He has a purpose. His glory is to flow through his bride. We are to terraform this place with his glory. Am I preaching to anybody this morning? We are called to already both be here and there and live a life that reflects such. But I wonder, do you recognize that you are seated in heavenly places? See, this is why it's a mystery is because we, we don't have a framework to put this in cognitive terms. We don't have a way of going, what does this mean? Because we've never seen something before. But what we have seen is that we know that Jesus is what? Son of man, right? That's his man nature. He's also son of God. That's his God nature. Did you know that Jesus, when he prayed, prayed with his eyes open? Jesus prayed with his eyes open. I've recently got it convicted that I'm to pray with my eyes open. Why? Because he's the firstborn among many brothers. Am I trying to be accounted among them? Am I a part of those many brothers? Are you a part of those many brothers? The reason he did that was because he understood he's living from here and here. We think we're 3D. No, we're two-dimensional. <laughs> Is it high concept? Absolutely. Is it biblical? 100%. Is it confusing? Incredibly. But you will live ill-equipped on this earth if you fail to recognize that you are already seated in heavenly places. Worship team, you can make your way up here. Keep focus on me while the worship team is doing that. Listen, because what happens next in this portion of scripture is desperately needed to be understood because the only way in my understanding that this makes sense is if you understand why you would be currently seated in heavenly places. See, you're called to be filled with the Holy Spirit and recognize that you are already seated in glory. Because it's being seated in glory that burns you. It's being seated in glory that changes you. It's being seated in glory that the sanctification process can begin where God can burn away what he can do and the Holy Spirit can renew in you what he can do. It's where we put our hands to the plow and we say, I'm getting this out of my life. I'm putting to death this sin because I've got good works. Hear me today. Paul says to the Ephesian church, God has prepared, hear that word, prepared, prepared, pre. He has prepared works for you to do. First of all, those, those works that he's prepared for you, can only be accomplished when you're seated in heavenly places. Those good works that he's prepared for you can only happen, can only come to fruition, can only succeed this side of heaven is if you decide to cognitively today, I am going to live seated in heavenly places. But hear this, hear this. He prepared them for you which means whether you feel ready or not is irrelevant. He prepared them for you, which means whether your demonic Enneagram number is a four or an eight is irrelevant. He prepared them for you, whether the demonic introvert or extrovert is your label or not, he prepared you for it. The last thing he was concerned about when he prepared good works for you and seated him in heavenly places was your personality contest. Whether you are an introvert or an extrovert. Friends, when we stand before God at the end of our life and give an account, guess what's not gonna fly for not fulfilling the Great Commission? Sorry, I'm an Enneagram too. 
I put you in this place in this time. Matt, why did you do it? I'm just an introvert. Who told you that? When did God come down from heaven and tell you you were a two and you were shy? Tell you you were an extrovert and you were loud? Because right here it says you are his workmanship, his craftsmanship. You are the master's masterpiece. And he prepared every good work for you. How you feel about yourself is irrelevant. Your feelings on the earth will rob you of the power of being seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Listen, you are the master's masterpiece. He has a plan that he prepared before you ever fell short and before you ever came home. It was just acted upon when you met Jesus and then he goes, here's your assignment. Here's what I have for you. So if our excuses aren't going to fly at the end of our life, why do we treat our excuses while we're seated with Christ Jesus in heavenly places like they're going to fly now? I wonder, would you stand? I wonder, Adrian, you can kill the lights. I wonder, I wonder, I wonder if we got a revelation of seated in heavenly places. He says, in Christ Jesus. That's why I called it seated in glory and not seated in heavenly places. Because he says, you are in Christ Jesus. Well, we know if we abide in him and he abides in us, what? We can ask for anything and it will be given to us. That's what Jesus said in John 15. So if I abide in him, I recognize that I'm seated in heavenly places and he abides in me. His Holy Spirit and his word abides in me. If I keep his commandments, what? I can ask for anything. But it's not anything out of selfish ambition. It's not anything out of vain or being conceit. No, no. Because if he resides in you and you recognize that you too reside in him, that means there's a work being done on the inside of you that is terraforming your insides and you begin to live inside out more like Christ Jesus permeating all the way through you. So that means you'll be asking less what Matt McClure would want. You'll be asking less what Micah Kramer would want. You start asking less what Eden would want. Instead, you start praying prayers like Jesus with full authority knowing that you are seated in heavenly places and that God loves to answer prayers. But he loves to answer the ones that he can get behind because his will is in them. Listen, today has been an interesting day. I would say it's even been a glorious day. I would say today the Holy Spirit came, He showed up, He showed out, and right now He wants to fill up. So right now as the worship team begins to sing, what I want to do is this. If you have to go, we love you, be blessed, have a great rest of your week. But if you want to get a revelation today that will take you from glory to glory, what is that? Presence to presence, power to power, his nature to his nature. If you want to get a revelation that I live from glory to glory, strength to strength, presence, power, the very nature of God, if you want to get a depth of this revelation, this mystery today, I would suggest you stick around. I would suggest that you pray. I would suggest that you lift your hands because the Holy Spirit is still on the move. He's still active in this room. And right now, he wants to draw you in further into this mystery of being a two-dimensional being. And I think what happens is how you go to the grocery store will change. How you respond to sickness visiting your home will change. How you come across financial difficulties will change. How you respond to gossip and lies about you will change. Suddenly your ministry will change. 
Suddenly your idea of your identity and your life will change. All of a sudden, all of the things that you thought you wanted to do in this life, they will fade away and they will be replaced by a more glorious dream because you will begin to live from the revelation that you right now. Nothing can be taken from you because you've already been given everything right now. You live from a place of glory in heavenly places. So let's pray. Let's pray. Let's worship. And let's ask the spirit of revelation to come upon us in this house. And for Jesus to reveal the depth of this to us. Let's let our roots go above and our branches come below. Let our roots run deep above so we can have sweeter fruit below. And let's truly see this upside down kingdom of heaven be the upside down kingdom of heaven. The way Jesus paid for and purchased and sacrificed his life for on the cross. Amen. Let's worship.